0: The cost is less than a beer at a bar, and you get a better buzz with, with the Savage Premium. So go to go to glow.fm/savagepremium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Michael Savage podcast entitled "The Edge of World War III? Question mark, and I hope it's a question mark. I think it's one of the most important podcasts that I have done ever. I spoke with Colonel Douglas McGregor about his insights into the Ukraine-Russia war. And the detail is so incredible that you have to listen to every word. Some of the topics that we touched on include the Russian T-90 tanks, which have not yet been seen in combat, compared with the older tanks that we've seen blown up. Is Russia playing... With fire Is Russia paying people in the U.S. media to take their side? Wait until you hear what Colonel McGregor says about those accusations. I learned that our own military higher command have no battlefield experience. You heard me right. We talked about the Patriot missile batteries that we're sending over there. We talked about Russia and Chinese ships conducting joint drills. But most importantly, we talked about the coming winter offensive, which is quite shocking. The whole point of my podcast is praying for peace, which is what we should all be doing, not praying for more bloodshed. I'm Michael Savage. Please pay attention and share it with five people. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Colonel McGregor, (laughs) welcome. Hi, how are you, doctor? Merry Christmas to you. Oh, my normal curmudgeon self
2: <laughs> yeah, well we could use some more curmudgeons right now
0: oh boy can we ever i want to start with a controversial question because i myself have been accused of being in in the pocket of uh, putin because i don't support war and i know you have as well how
2: do you disprove a negative well it's uh, on, on its face it's absurd of course uh, there's there's no uh, contact between me, and I suspect there's no contact between you and the, the Russian <laughs> no, government. No, I really haven't picked up a phone and called old friend Vlad recently. <laughs> yeah, So, I mean, it's it's absurd. When I was being considered for the post of ambassador in Berlin, some of the senators accused me of being a Russian agent and said I had taken money for a, an appearance I, I made on RT back in 2014. And, of course, there was no record of that. I'd never taken any money for any appearance that I've done anywhere. I, hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm far too anti-war to ever become a, a Fox News contributor. <laughs> so yeah, you, uh, they have know, a contributor
0: who, who's real gung-ho for war. I loved him before the Ukraine-Russia war broke out. I forget his name. Big husky guy. You probably know him. General Keene, I believe.
2: Oh, sure. general. I looked into
0: his background, though, but he's actually a consultant to the largest defense manufacturers in America.
2: Oh, of course. I mean, all of these people that are out there, retired general officers in particular, but also any of the retired colonels that may come on and and advocate for war with Russia are all in a similar position. They're on somebody's payroll. That's no accident. And of course, in Washington, we don't have any so-called think tanks. We just have advocacy tanks awesome. and you join an advocacy tanks and you're paid to advocate for certain policies. Terrible.
0: Well, we're just putting it on the record that I myself, uh, I'm free of any influence other than my own uh, thinking and conscience. And I'm, I'm I'm clearing up the fact that people say, oh, Colonel McGregor, uh, he's definitely paid for by Russia. I said, how can you prove that? <laughs> I said, well, it's well known. I said, well known by
2: whom? Yeah, it's crazy. I don't I don't understand why so many people in the United States, after the experience of the last four or five years, uh, watching the media lie about a whole range of things, why they would then eagerly embrace this ridiculous anti-Russian narrative and now uh, clearly, let's face it, there's a Cold War hangover. We have a lot of people that have listened to bad things about the Soviet Union, but This is not the Soviet Union, hasn't been for a very long time. This is simply Russia. Yeah, but you
0: can't tell that to the State Department because they're still fighting Cold War battles, as are Hannity, as is this guy Levin and the others who still think Ronald Reagan's in office and the Soviet Union's in power. True. They're running the same exact narrative that I heard in the 1960s and 50s. And the same Reagan, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. So all the schmucks who worked for Reagan are now on Fox News, or if they're still alive, wherever they are, and they're preaching the same exact story. Now, this is not supporting the devastation of Ukraine, is it? And we've both talked about this several times now. Uh, The real victims here are the Ukrainian people, incidentally.
2: I, I think everyone that's involved in this war who's fighting it is a victim of this stupidity. This was always avoidable. That's what no one wants to admit. Right. And once you get into it, they can't stop very easily because they'd have to admit they were wrong. Right. And that's a absolutely taboo in Washington. The first rule <laughs> of conduct in Washington is never admit that you've made a mistake. Sounds like marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Now we know why more than half of them fail, right? <laughs> Sorry about that. So let's move
0: on. <laughs> Merry Christmas to you, by the way. Yeah, happy holidays to you, my friend. Um, Colonel McGregor, the Zelensky visit of last week. I was very disturbed by the appearance of the comedian again. It's very difficult to criticize him without being seen as supporting Russia's invasion and Russia's war, even though we know it started in 2014 and that Russia basically has had a hands off approach as devastating as this these attacks have been. It's not been the blitzkrieg that Russia is
2: capable of. Isn't that, isn't that correct? Uh, absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, you're you're absolutely on target. When they first went in, there was an intention on Putin's part to be very restrained, to limit the, the action. And I think he made some very bad assumptions, uh, one of which was that someone in the West would negotiate with him. I think he really thought that people would negotiate in good faith. That it would be some recognition of the truth mm. that thousands of uh, people were killed in donetsk and luhansk by ukrainian fire over the previous eight years that the expansion of nato uh, posed in russian in the russian mind a serious threat that we had to recognize his legitimate security concerns and you know his minimal requirement was look well i want neutrality for ukraine i'll guarantee neutrality i just want equal rights for russians and ukraine uh, the autonomous republics uh, should be given some some latitude because they're Russians. They want to write in Russian and so forth and and recognize that Crimea is legitimately Russian. It was never historically part of Ukraine. That's another accident of history that goes back to a night of heavy drinking with Khrushchev and his buddies in the party down in Kiev. So, mm-hmm. But nobody wanted to go there because in truth for, I would say now, at least 20 years, maybe longer, we have been determined to bring Russia down.
0: Right. The great bear must be uh, declawed, a chain put around its neck, and he must be put in a cage. Yes. Uh, that's the theory of the anti war activists who are now running the Biden administration. These people were the, you know, hell no, we won't go. These were the anti Vietnam War people. Why in the hell is there no anti war movement in America? There certainly was an out to me as a civilian looking in. There are eerie similarities to the Vietnam situation. And you're the you're the military guy, not me. We have advisors. Of course, we have advisors. They've been there from the beginning on the ground. We know special forces have been there. They're not just training them in England and Poland. they're on the ground, probably teaching them not only teaching them, probably using the weapons against Russia. Would you agree with that In, in certain cases? I'm sure that's true. So what's going to happen if they capture an american officer next to one of these new artillery pieces what are they gonna say was an accident
2: Uh, i don't know i'm even more concerned about americans over there being killed not directly or deliberately but accidentally being too far forward and too much involved are there uh, are there are there such oh i'm sure there are i can't (laughs) prove it one way or the other but you know i know people in uniform and i know they're very anxious to Execute the mission, whatever it is, to the yes. best of their ability. Yes. And they, they will put themselves at risk. There's no question about it. Hmm. Michael Savage, a host like no other.
0: So Zelensky comes here and he brings the house down. Pelosi almost started to cry.
1: It was one of the finest speeches I've ever heard in the Congress. Uh, it was historic in that... Uh, He and Churchill are the only two wartime presidents who have come here to talk about asking our help and thanking us for our anticipated help to stop the tyranny in Europe. It's pretty exciting.
0: Uh, The only flag Pelosi and Kamala Harris held up that I've known in their life was a Ukrainian flag in the U.S. House of Representatives, which actually sickened me. They literally were almost... Kissing the flag of Ukraine, which they had backwards. They held backwards, by the way. Somebody had to tell them the cameras work the other way. The cameras are taking the back of it. Oh, oh, and then they turned it around. The whole thing was a a, a gross charade. But Zelensky coming here wearing filthy fatigues, I thought was an insult to this nation. By the way, couldn't they have gone to Filene's basement or Bonnie's basement and bought him
2: a used suit? I think this is part of the larger theater that you're referring to. The whole thing is uh, theatrical. Uh, I, I, You know, we, we could waste time, as you pointed out, going back to where did Mr. Zelensky come from? Okay. Did he burst onto the scene, and, and then you very quickly realize that this, this is not real.
0: Well, this, he's an, this is he's a, a good a, actor, an though. entirely
2: staged operation beginning right. back in 2014.
0: Well, Zelensky was a, a vulgar comedian, who played the piano with one of his body parts, and he brought the house down when he did that. I would say this performance was very close to that performance of the piano playing uh, when he brought the house down and with people screaming with laughter in Ukraine. He may as well have just done the same thing in the House of Representatives as what he did putting on that stupid show. The stupidest thing he said, in addition to looking like, I don't know how to put it other than who shows up making believe you just walked over from the front lines. Anderson Cooper, of course, a CIA plant in my estimation and the estimation of many who got into the media and stays in the media because he's a useful tool of some intelligence agency because he doesn't have any inherent brains, actually almost cried on air when he said, oh, to think President Zelensky appeared here with the dust on his boots from the battlefield. I said, oh, my God, how mawkish can we get, Anderson, please? Mm -hmm. But this is what we're dealing with. He didn't sell me. I'm not so sure he sold most of America with his act, and I don't think we can even hazard a guess. But he sure had the House of Representatives on their feet applauding.
2: They've lost their minds. Well, actually, they're checking their, you know, political action committee accounts their campaign re-election accounts, and those are filling up with uh, donations. So they're being rewarded for their behavior. You know, something that's worth worth remembering, and very few Americans are aware of this. When Zelensky was elected, he was elected on a platform uh, promising peace with Russia.
0: I remember that. It was in 99, he said, we'll have peace with Russia. We won't join NATO. We will not put weapons on our border, right? I mean, wasn't that his platform?
2: Essentially, yes. And, and and people even in the far west of Ukraine, who normally never vote for him, voted for him because of that. Now, here's something else. When he was elected, he was only fluent in Russian. He could not speak Ukrainian.
0: Well, let's pause on that. Because this is an interesting point, a very interesting point. There was a point in, in, in his presentation to Biden, where he said, I don't understand. It's not my language. I, did you catch that interaction?
2: At no, one I point, think I missed that one.
0: It, I, I heard it. and I said, what? what? What do you mean? There was somebody translating or somebody giving us a, a side speech while he was there. Or, and he said, I don't understand. It's not in my language. And I said, what the hell is this? And he almost gave up the gave, gave it up right there.
2: Well, I do do know. uh, I grew up with Ukrainians, and I, I knew that he could not speak Ukrainian. And it was an embarrassment for the State Department. It took a few months to get him to be really fluent in Ukrainian. Ukrainian and Russian are not the same. They are different. There's a lot of Polish and Lithuanian in Ukrainian, also some German. So it's very different from Russian, but it's not so different that you can't rapidly master Ukrainian, if you speak Russian, or if you are Ukrainian, that you cannot master Russian. And most people in most of Ukraine are bilingual. Uh, so, in his case, uh, it was just interesting to me that he was never fluent in Ukrainian and that he took this position when he ran. Well, obviously, he very rapidly changed his position, his orientation. So, one wonders what anybody should believe that the man says. And, you know, we have a long history of lie after lie after lie, terrible fiction about what's actually happened in Ukraine, which depicts, obviously, the Russians as evil war criminals and taking heavy losses and failing, and the Ukrainians as bright shining knights of truth and justice and suffering very few casualties. In reality, the truth is about 180 degrees out, the opposite. I
0: think on the last podcast, Colonel, you suggest you told us that the Russians have lost 100,000 men and the Ukrainians have lost an equal number? That- no,
2: no, I never said that. No, the Russian did, if there is a number, and I haven't seen too many, mm-hmm. uh, but I've seen some estimates, maybe, maybe 20,000, 24,000 dead. Oh, it was 100,000 Ukrainians. 20, 000,
0: that- uh, no, no, Russians. Right, but you 20- said 100,000 Ukrainians. Had- oh,
2: yeah, and and now it's much more than that because in addition to the 102,000 that von der Leyen admitted to as the president of the EU in her speech. The Ukrainians have now admitted that they have 35,000 Ukrainian soldiers missing in action. Oh, my God. Now, the other point is that certainly over the last three months, given the massive counterattacks that the Ukrainians have launched against the Russians, who essentially been in an economy of force role, just defending in the South, waiting for the buildup to complete for the coming winter offensive. Uh, the Russians have killed large, large numbers of the exchange rate, which was always about one Russian for every five Ukrainians, has now gone up to about one Russian for every eight or ten Ukrainians. So we think that they're, they're closing in probably if you add the thirty five thousand missing to the total, which is reasonable, probably one hundred and forty hundred and fifty thousand dead Ukrainians or more. Well, you know, so this
0: you- is this is an important point for the people listening to this podcast to focus on, because. One of the reporters in the questions after uh, he appeared with Biden, which I thought was surprising that they even took questions, uh, they raised the issue of peace. And Zelensky said something very worrisome to me. He said, I listened to it very carefully and read the translation. How can there be peace? We can only have vengeance with so many dead. Biden, to his credit, immediately jumped in at that juncture and said, well, we have to find peace. I was shocked that Biden, A, heard him,
2: and B, was quick enough to even say that. What do you make of that? It's hard for me to make much of anything out of what Biden says because (laughs) I, I don't know that any of it is sincere or true. Okay. Well, he's a pathological liar in my estimation. He meets all
0: the definitions of a literal pathologue. He cannot state a thing that is true about his childhood, about his growing up, about his presidency, what he does. And he is suffering, um, I would say, mild to advanced, mild to middling Parkinson's. And he's exhibiting the gait of a Parkinson's patient. that I'm quite familiar with it. Not in my own life. Uh, the shuffle. You can see it mainly when Biden walks away from the camera, how he shuffles. It's nothing to laugh mm-hmm. at. He's a very sick man, uh, but it's all we've got right now. But whoever is whispering in his ear immediately told him to say something, but we want peace Uh, Well, let's
2: let's hope so. Uh, The the problem is when you bring up this issue of peace, you get some very disturbing answers. Just before we began this podcast, I happened to be listening to Fox News, and on came Lieutenant General Retired Keith Kellogg. Oh, him again? And Keith Kellogg was advertised as former Vice President Pence's National Security Advisor. Oh, God. Well, he was asked about, events in Ukraine. And and he said several things, some of which were true, and a lot of which were quite disturbing. One of mm. which he said was, well, we're really in this war. We should stop pretending we're, we're part of this war. And he's mm-hmm. right. We're effectively a co-belligerent. Oh, God. And we have no declaration of war. We've no, we've never consulted the American people. We've never gone through the constitutional process. So I I, I think he's probably right. We are. The second thing he said, which mm-hmm. was really disturbing to me, is that President Biden needs to become personally involved. And they said, well, what do you mean? Well, he needs to pick up the phone and he needs to tell President Putin that he's got to come to the peace table or we will take measures to destroy the Russian army in the field. Oh, Lord. Well, you know, first of all, I, I don't know what particular set of hallucinogenics he's taking, but short of nuclear weapons, we are not in a position to destroy the Russian army in the field, as he puts it, which simply means in the Ukrainian theater. And secondly, again, he's urging Biden to double down on threats. Well, Dr. Savage, all we've done for the last 20 years is effectively threaten Vladimir Putin and his, his people repeatedly. Why would a threat bring the Russians to the table? It makes no sense at all.
0: But when you you make a threat like
2: that, what what is the implication there for the eventual or almost inevitable escalation to nuclear weapons?
0: Well, I I hear you, and we're all worried about that. And, you know, I've debunked what I'm calling the domino theory. Every time online someone says Putin needs to be stopped in Ukraine, not on the Atlantic shores. I said, good God. I said, stop with the domino theory. That was dismissed after Vietnam. And I'm using a domino theory again. Because isn't that what the
2: opposition is using here, you know, the warmongers? The dominant- of course it was used in Afghanistan. It was used again in Iraq. Oh I was? listened to General Abizade early on. If we don't stop these Islamists now, they'll we'll be fighting them in our own country. Well,
0: I see. Same story. One of,
2: one of my friends who was serving in Iraq at the time, he sent he, he sent a message to me, just texted it to me, and he said, I'm trying to figure out how all these Arabs <laughs> with their Outfits on are going to get on uh, little uh, uh, boats and float over to the United States to threaten us. Well, they can't get out of their own way. Who are we kidding?
0: They could have taken El Al or. Uh... <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's, you know, this is the same crap over and over and over again to goad us into war. Well, okay. this time both, it's, you da- and I, it's really dangerous. But you and
0: I both agree that we want peace. The important thing for oh. us to talk about is peace. Absolutely. I'm a civilian talk show host. You are a military man. West Point VMI, Ph.D. in international relations from the University of Virginia. Uh, You led one of the largest tank battles in the Battle of 73 Easting, the U.S. Army's largest tank battle since World War II. I have to keep repeating that because people want to forget your expertise, and I don't forget it. It's just like they try to dismiss me as a nobody, and I won't, won't let them do it online and I won't let them do it to any of my guests either. We're not all equal just because we can all tweet. That's <laughs> the problem, you know. So I'm going to ask you as an expert, am I correct in saying the reason we refuse to negotiate is because the military industrial complex is one element and the State Department with its primitive neocon Reagan-esque view of Russia Are those the two pillars
2: that are keeping this going i i think that's a reasonable uh, assessment you know one of the things that people don't seem to understand and i include many people in uniform if you go back to 1990 and 1991 uh, you'll remember that we were already in the process of beginning to quote unquote downsize the armed forces especially the army yes and uh, Saddam Hussein did us an enormous favor. If he'd have waited a couple of years, we'd have been in a much weaker position to respond. But he did so in a very timely fashion for us. And uh, it worked out brilliantly because we had an enormous amount of military power in terms of people and equipment and capabilities. There were effectively a legacy of the Cold War. Well, today that legacy is gone We don't have those surpluses of military power. We don't have a monopoly on all the precision strike, the space-based surveillance, reconnaissance, intelligence. All of those things lie in the hands of the the Russians and the Chinese and Iranians and others now, particularly the Russians. And we're not prepared for an all-out
0: war. You're saying the Russians have a more advanced set of systems on those levels than we do?
2: Not necessarily more advanced, but they certainly have the equal of whatever we have.
1: The Savage Nation. It's Savage on Demand.
0: So when this general on Fox News said that we'll take out their, their
2: armed forces, what does he mean? You're going to b 52 bombing raids like in Vietnam? Well, they, they won't last long because they stand an excellent chance of being shot down by integrated air defenses, something we don't have. We rely on the Air Force to shoot everything down with aircraft. And the Russians rely far more heavily on ground-based integrated air defenses. We don't have anything like that. And they can shoot down everything, including the stealth aircraft that we place so much value on. What? The
0: SS-3s? Is that what they have? Is that what they're called? Or they're more advanced? No, well,
2: you have the S-400s and S-300s. And the thing is that you have multiple levels and layers of air defense to deal with everything. And we don't have that. In other how words, many, they, they can feet? shoot down a drone as easily as they can an aircraft at thirty thousand feet.
0: And what's the maximum uh, ceiling on their on their anti aircraft? Uh,
2: oh, I suppose it could go out to forty thousand, maybe higher. It depends. So, so the point you, is that they're they're in a position to shoot us down. Let's face it.
0: Now, what about the delivery of the Patriots? I'm going to give you a primitive viewpoint. My point, again, I'm very cynical to begin with. So we're sending patriots, allegedly a very complex system. It's going to take months of training in England or Poland, wherever. Uh, Are these patriots that we're sending over somewhat obsolete now compared to what? They're still very advanced.
2: They're they're, they are up to the task of dealing with Russian aircraft and uh, tactical ballistic missiles. That's what they were really designed for. So they would stop an incoming nuclear weapon well i don't know that they're going to face any nuclear weapons uh, but i know that they can stop some probably not all i mean what first of all we got to understand that we're, we're talking about a battery and that's perhaps eight launchers and those eight launchers each one can fire 128 missiles at a yeah. shot
0: interesting uh
2: now when you start doing the math It doesn't take very long to figure out that since you fire two missiles at every incoming target, you're going to go through a lot of missiles quickly. Mm -hmm. Those are very difficult to build. We don't have a huge arsenal sitting there of missiles. Mm. So they're going to have to be careful what they use. The second part of this, if you look at that entire aid package, we don't need to go through it all. Most of that stuff won't arrive in Ukraine for months And the war may well be over by then on Russian terms.
0: Don't they have to bring those batteries in by rail or by truck?
2: One would assume so. And they'll be targeted as soon as they cross the Ukrainian border. They'll see them when they get off the railheads in Poland. They'll probably be shipped through Gdansk uh, to the Polish border where they're offloaded or put on some other transport and then moved and I don't know how far forward they'll want to move them if they're going to use them for military sensitive command and control sites or they're going to put them around part of of Kiev I have no idea but it's still a point defense weapon it's not going to defend a large area in order to defend a really large area in a theater of war like Ukraine you would need 10 battalions not just one battery so this is a gesture you know as
0: it's a gesture of support and to thre- yes. threaten Russia that if you keep escalating, we'll escalate, we'll keep raising the stakes. We know they're playing a game of chips. So um, what is the tactical advantage to Putin to destroy Kiev? Because I don't think he's going to do that. See, I think it's a fame. If I were a tactician, I'd make believe I was going to go for the capital of the nation. I would take out other targets instead. He doesn't want the bad PR and he doesn't want to kill civilians. What's the advantage to Russia to take out Kiev by by saturated saturation bombing?
2: None, none. And uh, the first time that he the first time the Russians went in towards Kiev, it was a feint. people talk about the, quote unquote, Battle of Kiev. That's a lot of nonsense. It never happened. That was entirely designed to draw Ukrainian forces away from southern and eastern
0: Ukraine. Well, the State Department had said that they're going to invade Kiev at a certain point.
2: Remember that. And well, I think that's the last option. In other words, what he's interested in doing now, what the what the Russian armed forces being told to do in the next series of offensives that will begin sometime, I suspect, in January, early February, late January, early February, is annihilate what's left of the Ukrainian armed forces on the ground. That's their mission. Dispose of them, eliminate them completely, and at the same time, stop the flow of weaponry coming into Ukraine from Poland. Can they stop it? Well, absolutely, they can stop it. And they really haven't set out to do it in a a complete military fashion. I mean, they can target the whole length of that border and they can move forces up to that border if they need to well that depends on how they decide to do it i mean they have the capability now of attacking from several directions at once mm. or they could do it sequentially but belarus would be one sure of course they could come down from uh, belarus down south and put a force between uh, Kiev and the polish border oh, God.
0: i'm actually sitting here trying to absorb all of what you're telling me because you you've given me some new information about the patriots Patriot missile systems, and I think you said that there's eight bat. You said eight batteries.
2: No, no, eight launchers in one battery. There's only one battery. What? Each launcher fires at one time. Sixteen missiles. So, what's the total number? We're we sending them a thousand missiles. Well, I, I don't know no. because I would say that we probably can't afford to send more than that.
0: No, you say one battery. I'm sorry, I'm doing the
2: math. One battery, what? and there's eight watt, Eight, ba- eight, ba- eight launchers eight launch- in one battery. And how many? each launcher can fire 16 missiles 16 missiles per okay launcher. per launcher well, there's the math and then you fire two missiles at every incoming target two mi- to make sure that you actually disable the target or destroy it
0: well if i were um this guy uh freed i could probably do the math in my head the one who was just given uh, the, the the crypto genius
2: well, I wouldn't rely on his numbers. But, uh, <laughs> well, I wouldn't take him to the bank, I'll tell you that. Yeah, I wouldn't. In- good Lord. But it, but having said that, what what I would also point out is that the Russians are very good at overwhelming air defenses. In other words, if you want to put an air defense battery out of business quickly, first and foremost, you put up a lot of targets that are frankly meaningless and let them expend missiles against huh. them. And then once you know exactly where they are based on the missiles that they're firing, you target them and destroy them from a distance. Mm. So you've got drones, you've got cruise missiles, uh, you know, you've got tactical ballistic missiles, you've got any number of, of uh, different options that you can use. You to draw, the point is, to draw out, this is not going to draw work. draw out the missiles. Yes, of so course. So it's like dropping chaff
0: from a B-52 bomber over mm. Vietnam.
2: Yes, only this time everybody's going to shoot at the chaff.
0: Unbelievable. So, no one's talked about the Russians dropping chaff in essence or the equivalent of.
2: Well, and that, yeah, because they, they don't want to talk about the various systems they can put up there that are meaningless, that'll just be targets. The savage nation, it's
1: savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw.
2: So, this patriot
0: gift of the United States for Ukraine is, is uh, window dressing, Colonel?
2: effectively yes Uh, it's not going to change anything that's why it was so interesting to listen to people talk about it being a game changer any competent air defense officer will explain that it it can be successful at defending a fairly small point on the ground a small section a neighborhood if you would well of keith but that's it
0: okay So 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 if it was russia's if i was a russian general and i'm not I would say, let them put them around, Keith, and attack somewhere else.
2: Well, yeah, but you, you still want to put it out of business because what you want to be able to do, which is what they're doing right now, is fly their own aircraft, manned aircraft with impunity. Who, who does? The Russians. Well, wait a minute. Zelensky
0: just said when he went home, give us the uh, F-16s or whatever he wanted and let us fly them. Ukrainians can fly them just as well. So now he wants
2: he wants our airplanes now. Uh, I'm sure he'll take anything you give him. Uh, what, how would, what, would happen,
0: what would happen if Ukrainian pilots were given F-16s? Uh, I don't know, because they're not trained to fly them. Well, he said they could do it. I guess they, I could, they, maybe they could fly them as well as he plays the piano. I don't really know what they're capable of. But uh, this is not a laughing business. Look, you're a serious guy. I, I yeah. tend to. When I get tense, I tend to tell jokes. That's what I've done since grade school. You and I would have had a lot of fun having a few drinks together. But this is not a a joking matter, Colonel. We're talking about war and peace. We're talking about pushing Putin to a corner every day. I see another story. He's near dead. Yesterday, they put out the bullshit. Pardon me, that America, U.S. cancer therapies were keeping him
2: alive. Where are they getting this from? Uh, I I don't know. I have no idea. And when people ask me, "Is is is Mr. Putin seriously ill? Is he dying?" I, I have no idea. But I don't, Remember I... back in the back in the sixties, seventies, and eighties, we had these people that called themselves Kremlinologists, and they would sit around and uh, sort of conjecture about which Russian on the Politburo said what. This is a waste of time. Okay. For dealing with the Russian state and its armed forces. That's where we need to focus. We're not dealing with one man. Putin is not alone, Hmm. and he has the backing of the Russian people. Anybody who thinks otherwise is crazy. Unbelievable. So the Russian people want this over with as well. Of course, everyone wants this to end. I'm sure there are lots of Ukrainians would like it to end. I've I've watched videos of Ukrainian soldiers that were posted by them on the Internet. And then suddenly they were removed because Ukrainian soldiers were saying we're tired, we're freezing running low on ammunition Uh, if you complain or if you talk about surrendering or deserting they pick you up take you away and they they never see you again oh my god we we know the ukrainian enforcers are out there threatening people we know that they're now scraping the bottom of the barrel they're trying to bring in teenagers put them in uniform hand them rifles send them forward is that where they're at Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Ukraine's in very serious trouble. And if you listen carefully to Zelensky, uh, he said, well, thank you very much for sending all that you have, but it's really not enough. Right. So Always then, not enough. And then in his interview uh, with The Economist and his uh, commanding general, uh, Zeluzny, they both flat out said that the probability of withstanding what is coming in the winter from Russia is very low. Uh, you can give us a lot of things that will help, but they are far stronger than we thought, and we are not as strong as we said. I mean, they've been as honest as they can without That's jeopardizing the phony narrative. Yeah. Well, Colonel,
0: on the last podcast with me, you mentioned a winter offensive, and, of course, the smart money says that Russia is going to use the, the the winter as they have used yes. since, since prior to Napoleonic times to defeat the enemy. Of course, it was in, in, in reverse. That's where the enemy had invaded Russia. We understand that. So uh, why would the winter be in favor of Russia when their own troops have to fight in that same weather going forward?
2: Well, the Russian soldiers don't lack for proper clothing. They don't lack for heat. They don't lack for food. they don't lack for ammunition. Uh, they have been training very, very vigorously. And one mm-hmm. of the reasons they've been waiting is that in southern Ukraine, down near Odessa and the southern part of the area held by the Russians, It still is not frozen during the day. The temperature rises to about 34 degrees and at night it falls to 20 Mm. in order for you to move effectively with thousands of armored fighting vehicles and wheels and so forth. Mm. It has to it has to drop below freezing and stay there. Now, northern Ukraine is frozen, but the south is not. Mm. And they're waiting for that to happen. And they need two weeks of uh, consecutive days of, fr- of freezing temperatures in the south for the ground to freeze.
0: Unbelievable. See, so Now we're talking with a man who commanded a uh, tank. How many tanks were under your command, Colonel?
2: Well, we had 42 tanks, 42 Bradley infantry fighting vehicles, and eight guns, 155-millimeter mm-hmm. uh, self-propelled cannon. What does— 1,100 you- men. <laughs> That's
0: what you commanded in, 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 in. in well, that's Ireland.
2: what I led into battle is yes.
0: led into battle. You weren't sitting in a chair in the Pentagon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what kind of tanks do the Russians have these days?
2: Well, they have now put T-90s into the field. What we've been dealing, what we were dealing with at the beginning of this were a lot of tanks that had been sitting in uh, essentially the equivalent of a used car lot. In other words, 7,000 old tanks, and the russian troops were told when they went into ukraine if there's anything wrong with this thing don't try to fix it if uh, if it's damaged in combat just get out walk away from it we'll give you another tank hmm. they they really did not bank on this major war they thought there would be a negotiated settlement remember oh,
0: oh, oh, so
2: now what has happened is that uh, the t-90s are finding their way into all the russian units t-80s and t-90s the t-90 is the best available that they've got, which is uh, in most ways equal to or as good as uh, an M1. Is or it? A, yeah, it is. And uh, the advantage that the Russians have over us in, in the tank department is not so much in armament. Our armament is excellent. Our guns are excellent. Our problem is the engine. We mm. have a turbine engine in the tank. And as most of your viewers understand, turbine engines were designed for use by jet aircraft. Mm-hmm. Well, we put a turbine engine back in the late 70s, early 80s into the M1 series tanks. Mm. And the M, the turbine engine problem is that as long as it sits still and you've got the engine running, it burns as much as it does running when you're moving. Mm. In other words, whether you're moving or sitting still, you've got about seven and a half to eight hours of fuel. That's it. So you tend to shut the tank down. Now, they built since uh, 1990 an auxiliary uh power pack they they want to turn on while you're sitting still but the problem with all of that is that you've got to shut that down and then it takes a little a little time to crank up the turbine engine Mm -hmm. so you have a very very high fuel usage rate with the tanks far Mm. higher than the russians and then secondly the turbine engine burns at a thousand degrees fahrenheit oh boy it emits a thermal signature that can be viewed from low Earth orbiting satellites at 70 or 80,000 feet. You're
0: talking about our
2: M ones. Yes. And the Russians don't have turbine engines. No, they're using the traditional diesel engines. Oh. And they also have thermal blankets, which they put over their engine compartments in order to conceal the uh, thermal signature. This is so our thermal signature stands out brilliantly. Very the, easy to find us
0: from the sky.
2: Yes. All the way up into space. And uh, that also makes you a, a brilliant target for anybody who wants to destroy you. Home of Borders.
1: Language. Culture. The Savage Nation.
0: This is the most fascinating podcast I've ever done because as an expert, not only on military affairs, but also on, uh, on tanks specifically. Are the Russians going to be using tanks when they do their winter offensive, in your estimation?
2: Of course, But you're going to see an offensive unlike what we saw, say, during the Second World War. You're going to see sensors that essentially encounter each other from the two sides, a sensor battle, if you will, Hmm. both in space and and on the ground. You're trying to detect where the enemy is and what strength and so forth. And then you're going to see massive salvos of rockets, missiles, the so-called drones, which are usually point to point uh, like these iranian uh, manufactured drones that the russians have now purchased and are, are producing in great quantity and then you also have loitering munitions this is the sort of thing that flies around for a couple of hours at at four or five six thousand feet day or night good looks god. for targets then dives on the target
0: good god and,
2: and as soon as you you begin this process and you find concentrations for targets that's when you bring in the heavy rocket artillery which is devastating with thermobaric warheads, mm. which we call fuel air explosive and incendiaries. They're using those right now in Southern Ukraine near Bakhmut, who Who is using them? The Russians. It, to and take they out, devastated to take- a, a town called Marinka, which was defended by Ukrainian infantry. They finally brought up this rocket artillery and essentially annihilated everything, uh, which they can do. If you stand still long enough... And you're unprotected you're not armored up and you can't drive away you're a target you'll be destroyed so the, the, all of these things will be employed against us and your armor that you're talking about tanks and armored fighting vehicles those will move in after you've been saturated with all these other systems and try to finish you off in other words they won't lead the attack with armor mm. they'll lead with all these rockets and artillery and missiles
0: What about the rockets we've given Ukraine, which are causing so much devastation on the Russian side? What are those?
2: Well, that's that's our form of rocket artillery, and it's very accurate and uh, very effective, but it's not nearly as devastating as some of the Russian systems because the warhead isn't as large. And we haven't been able to sustain uh, the numbers of rockets, nor have the Ukrainians successfully protected the launchers. I think they're down to perhaps three, four, five launchers at this point, and they originally had many more than that, thirty or forty. Uh, again, once you once you set up and you fire, you could be identified, which means that you've got to then immediately move away from where you were in order to avoid the salvo of missiles and rockets that follow you. Ukrainians haven't done that quite as well. Uh, But having said all of that, remember, most of these have been operated by so-called contractors, people from the West.
0: Meaning CIA or or Special Forces?
2: Well, you know, they could be British, they could be American, they could be any number of people, but they're, quote-unquote, contracted. Now, who pays for the contract? Probably some front company that may well be funded out of our black budget. Oh, God.
0: Okay, that leads us to the most important point. (sighs) Which is, are we reaching the point of no return? Will this continue to escalate or will this winter offensive occur? And at what point will the Ukrainians sue for peace?
2: Well, thus far, we've said that uh, we are, quote unquote, uh, backing Zelensky. And Zelensky's response to the Russians is very straightforward, First, you must withdraw all your forces from Ukraine, and then we're willing to sit down and talk to you. So the probability of that particular action occurring is about zero. So under the circumstances right now, I'd say they may call for negotiations once it becomes uh, unambiguously clear that everything's being destroyed. Their forces are in ruins. Their soldiers are dead or wounded or captured. Perhaps at that point, they'll say something. But prior to that, I don't hold out much hope. Uh, I, too, agree with one thing that General Kellogg said. I would welcome President Biden's intervention, but not to not to prolong this insanity, but to end it and simply say, let's hold where we are right now, and let's hold negotiations without preconditions. Right. That's the only thing that can possibly bring it to a halt. Kissinger, 101-odd years old,
0: has been calling for peace in my view. A movement
1: towards negotiations, and uh, negotiations on peace need to begin the next two months or so. The outcome of the war should be outlined by them before it it creates uh, upheavals and tensions that will not be to be even harder to overcome.
0: They've called him senile, every name under the sun. But Biden, of course, is not senile. anyone who calls for war is not senile. Anyone who calls for peace is senile or uh, paid propagandists for, for Putin. I've never seen a time like this in all my years in America as an American, where madness seems to rule the land. I don't even hear anyone in the media other than a few people calling for peace. It seems they don't care or they don't know what could happen. And that leads us to the last question I have for you. Do you think Putin is bluffing or would he actually use a nuclear weapon? I know it's a crazy question because we don't know. These well, he's are been
2: right- very he's been very clear about the circumstances under which he would use a nuclear weapon, which which are. And he has said if if his forces, his country are attacked by a state that uses a nuclear weapon, then he will respond. But he's made it very clear it's purely retaliatory now one of the things that he did say however and i think this is worth noting that just as we have early warning systems and we have surveillance systems in space uh, they are capable of detecting an imminent launch of a nuclear weapon against us Mm -hmm. or against them in which case he reserves the right to strike And I think he's just simply telling us, listen, don't don't think about going nuclear, because if we detect that, we'll act. I mean, he's not a fool. So I, I don't think I don't think we're going to do that. I have never believed that. I just do not see any evidence in this administration that anybody is calling for the use of a nuclear weapon.
0: Yeah, but I look at these people in the State Department, if they're really calling the shots and God only knows who is. They frighten me because none of them are military men these are all career politicians who've gotten where they are through maneuvering other people and stabbing people in the back that's what they are not one of them has been in combat every last one of them is a pogo stick hockey player meaning jumping on a pogo stick screwing men along the way and women leaving them in the gutter that's who they are
2: well i I don't want to completely burst your bubble but that (laughs) describes most of the senior military types as well I think the difference is that the, the people at the top, uh, most of whom have never seen any real action either, at least understand that we are not in a position to wage war on the Eurasian continent against Russia. We don't have the supplies. We don't have the manpower. We we, we don't have the depth strategically in terms of weapons and munitions. They know that, and I think that that has been made clear To the biden administration i suspect that general milley privately has made that clear and said that does the defense secretary know that
0: i would assume so all right now you know i don't know much about milley or or the defense secretary are these combat veterans are these guys combat vets no
2: no no look you've got to go back over the last 20 years and understand what you're dealing with over the last 20 years we have been fighting insurgents In other words, people with sandals and bed sheets and AKs and RPGs and command detonated mines. Mm. The people that have seen most of the action, to be blunt, are in your special operations forces, people that have actually conducted these raids in Afghanistan and Iraq. You have had limited exposure by perhaps 10 12% of the force to some form of uh, attack. Most of it is usually... A mortar round that comes in on your location, uh, a, a command detonated mine that goes off underneath your vehicle. The, that is most of it. If you look at the injuries to people, the last time I looked, it was about 87% of the people that had been severely wounded or killed were killed as a result of these command detonated mines that we call improvised explosive devices. So it's really, truthfully, in the the most sincere sense of the word, a rebellion and insurgency by very weak opponents. We have not been fighting armies, air forces, and navies in the field. So the people at the top right now, the senior officers, don't have the experience of what I would call large-scale combat. They haven't had to face an enemy that was heavily armed against them. We have always had the advantage in firepower.
0: General Milley is not a combat veteran? Not
2: that I'm aware of. How did I he
0: get, what, are we, he was just put in there as a-
2: Well, most of them are not. I mean, there only a fraction of people over the last 30 years have seen much action. Now, you'd have to ask him to tell you where he was in combat. When I say combat, I'm talking about someone who was in a direct fire battle mm. and led soldiers in a direct fire battle. Most of the general officers that you're dealing with haven't. I know them personally, especially someone like David Petraeus has never been in that setting. He's never done that.
0: Yeah. He came out just last week calling for an escalation, didn't he? Of course. Why?
2: But, you know, he's part of the he's part of the cabal. He's part of the status quo in Washington. Isn't he West Point? Yes. He graduated in 74, two years ahead of me. And he was airborne, wasn't he? Yeah, sure. I mean,
0: we're all. No, no, I'm saying. I mean, yeah, but I'm just saying West Point airborne yeah but now what he's a consultant for martin marietta or something like that
2: well i'm sure he's he's got some connections there but he has a, a very cushy uh, think tank set up for him in new york city by some financial firm i forgot I, the see. Name
0: of I see i
2: mean he's this is the way the neocons reward the generals that do their bidding
0: he they, was on fox last week and i got nauseated and angry yeah. he was on the human kill the human mortadella show neil cavuto i call it human mortadella <laughs> because a mortadella would have more sense than what he was asking Petraeus sitting there like a schoolboy without any critical questions no depth no nothing and Petraeus was going on and on as though this was just a discussion without consequences of human life
2: And I said how does this go yeah I keep asking the same thing when is someone going to ask the question have we consulted in other words has our government decided to declare war And if so, have we consulted the American people?
0: Oh, no. We're the last to be consulted. I mean, we we obviously all want open borders and four or five million illegal aliens coming in. We all want that. We've been asked, haven't we?
2: So we're all sitting around watching the death of the Constitutional Republic (laughs) and the death of our rights as citizens. And no one raises a single question. No, No reporter, just as I said about General Kellogg. The reporter never said, well, General, you're you're talking about all out war with Russia. Have we declared with war with Russia? If so, I've missed it. So (laughs) is the president going to take the case to Congress and ask them to declare war on Russia? They probably would. Given this, they might, but I don't think they'd get what they wanted, because I think if anything woke up the sleeping American citizenry, it would be the threat of war with Russia.
0: Well, because they're just afraid of being drafted. That's all.
2: Maybe, but I also think if you go back to Obama, who wanted to introduce massive bombing against uh, so-called insurgents and rebels on the ground and and Assad and his regime in Syria, uh, the the American people woke up and basically the phones ran off the hooks in uh, Congress and telegrams poured in and said, we do not want to be involved in Syria. Mm. And so President Obama withdrew. Stopped dead in his tracks.
0: He sounds like a, an actual uh, Democrat.
2: So I think the same thing would happen with Biden if all of a sudden he said, I'm going to Congress tomorrow morning and asking for a declaration of war against Russia, even though they have so successfully demonized Russia, its leadership, and its people as something richly deserving of extermination, mm. even though they've done that, I think most Americans would say, wait a minute, we didn't sign up for all out war with Russia
1: michael savage a host like no other
0: you know we saw i know the time is short and it's holiday time and uh just last week russian and chinese ships were conducting drills in the east china sea and i saw the article it was so deceptive it said russian ships conducting drills in the east china sea in the jerusalem post so i read the article and it was actually a joint exercise between russia and china yes so The J Post, which is very left wing, had a false headline, of course, Russian ships doing exercises. But it wasn't Russian ships alone. It was Russia and China together. We've driven Russia and China together. The worst possible outcome of this debacle in Ukraine, in my opinion.
2: No, I, I think that's true. They, they are each other's natural strategic partner because both of them seem to think that they're and I think with justification, frankly, under siege by the United States and the West.
0: Madness, just total madness. So Russia and China are natural adversaries, not natural allies, but we've brought them together through our belligerence and foolishness at the top. Would that be a fair assumption?
2: well i'm not sure i would say natural enemies they've had their differences but the last time russia was really at war with people from that region they were at war with the mongolian armies and those (laughs) mongols were not chinese how long ago was that well that's uh, that goes back at least to the 15th century 16th century so i i I, I think it's a mistake i mean you know china if there's one thing we can say about them with absolute certainty is that uh, they are focus like lasers on building themselves up economically and they will steal whatever ip or any other capability we develop if they can do it mm-hmm. but when you move beyond that and say that they're actively planning on a war with us i think they're crazy because the chinese are not by nature warlike uh, they never were and everybody at some point Wait, in the last hold it now. thousand be, years has ruled china
0: you're going to be accused of being in the pocket of Zijming. that's right <laughs> no, because you that's said right. it and you see, China's not to, no no next they're going to say that he's sending you secret frozen uh mongolian beef recipes or something china uh and russia you know you mentioned mongolians i would say a good portion of the russian forces are mongolian these days well
2: i i don't think they are now but they the russians have always had and this is an important point doctor that i'm I glad you brought it up the Russians have always had numbers of non-European contingents inside their armies.
0: Yes. The Chechens
2: are not newcomers to this. Hmm. The Kalmuks, the Mongols, the Tartars, all of them have served in Tsarist armies, and they've done very, very well.
0: Especially in the winter.
2: Yes, yes. Well, well I I remember s- the Russians learned the value of winter offensives from the Mongols. The mongols always waited until the rivers froze huh so that they could ride over the winter uh, rivers in the winter
0: sounds very familiar doesn't it yes colonel last question i've said this four times are we reaching a point of no return
2: Uh, i will say no good we're close but no what would be the point of no return u.s troops on the ground oh you know that that's my greatest fear that someone will make the miscalculation that uh, the ukrainians have been crushed and that we need to rush in and create some sort of safe zone in western ukraine for the remnants of the ukrainian armed forces oh, God. and believe that uh, the russians will simply say oh stop by all means stop we don't want to get into a war with the americans uh good gosh the american army is there with forty thousand men we don't want to risk anything. And the opposite is the case. The rage inside Russia against us, I think, is probably at an all time high. Amongst the people or the leadership? The population and the leadership. You know, behind
0: Putin, people think that if Putin were taken out, they keep saying he's sick, he's dying. got he's, can't. I don't believe a word of it because it's all propaganda. But let's say Putin was sick and let's say Putin is removed for health reasons, which I don't think will happen. I don't think the american people know that those behind them are far more belligerent than him isn't that
2: correct uh i think attila the hun genghis khan and a whole series of people like that are lining up to to replace him (laughs) but they don't have those names anymore no they're different names but they're people with that kind of anger and hatred towards us that's the bad news oh so you're talking about unleashing a
0: health storm on ukraine if putin is taken out or dies
2: well, I, it's, it, the hell storm is coming right now. I mean, that's that's coming. It's only a question of when, not if
0: the frozen, the frozen river thing.
2: Oh, yeah. They're, they're the Russians are going to put this thing to bed. That's their goal. They want to terminate this war after the Russian New Year or this uh, roughly. I, I told you the, the one of the most important measures is the thorough freezing of the ground. Right. And that's going to happen sometime over the next two, three, four weeks. And uh, they're ready. They have everything they need. They have all the forces in place. They're continuing to train and prep. Uh, the troops are well-fed, well-rested. They're warm. They're ready to go. They have all the ammunition that they possibly need. They're not going to run out of ammunition or rockets or missiles, contrary to popular belief. Mm. So uh, it's all a question of when General sorovikin who's the theater commander, wants to attack. Is he a good he has he has the freedom of maneuver. He's been given the freedom to decide when and how. Is he a good commander? Is he a good leader thus far? I'd say he's done extremely well. Yes.
0: What? By not taking out more civilians?
2: Well, I think he's done very well because I think he made it very clear to uh, President Putin what his requirements were. In other words, what the force had to be before he was willing to use it. And he made it very clear that uh, he did not want to be interfered with when he finally made the decision to attack. He was not going to be rushed. I I compare his position to some extent to Montgomery's in North Africa, Mm. because Churchill was always on the back of every commander in North Africa for two years, urging them to attack. Mm. And, of course, every commander that had been pushed and pushed and pushed to attack was inevitably defeated by the Germans and Italians. Montgomery showed up and said, no, first of all, I've got to have all these things. Then I've got to train, and then I'll attack, but not before we're ready. And he held the line against Churchill. And ultimately, Montgomery was very successful. And I think you're going to see something similar with sort
0: Well, Churchill didn't do too well with that theory in Gallipoli, did he? Uh, Sacrificing so many great young men for nothing, throwing them against the, (laughs) the deeply entrenched Turkish forces and having them mowed down. New Zealand, Australia in particular, lost the cream of the crop in that horrible battle of Gallipoli. But that's a a, a discussion for another time. I'm calling this podcast the edge of World War Three with a question mark at the end. Any final comments?
2: Uh, Let's pray for a better year this year than last year. That's about the best I can offer. And let us hope that uh, wiser heads prevail in Washington and that someone recognizes the criticality of bringing this to an end and stop escalating
0: truer words were never spoken and i don't care if what i'm repeating is a homily true words were never spoken colonel mcgregor always not only a pleasure but an honor to speak with a scholar and the warrior
2: happy new year
0: happy new year let's hope for a great 2023 thanks doctor thank you so much for your time enjoy the rest of this week of peace yes thank you